Hello, hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to Money Awakenings. My name is Larry Morrison. I am the financial shaman. I am the alchemist. And it's a beautiful morning where I am. On these podcasts, I love to go for a walk, pretend that you're with me, and I'm ranting about something and not letting you get a word in edgewise. <laughs> Uh, one of the very rare still days. There's no wind. It has been crazy windy, seemingly since last summer. Just nonstop. But anyway, so hopefully no, nothing but birds chirping in the background, and that's all you'll hear besides my voice. <clears throat> What are we going to talk about today? Well, what's fascinating, uh, you know, I'm always learning and learning more and seeing things from different perceptions. And um, I got the chance to uh, sit down with a nice couple and do my, my shamanism, right? My financial shaman stuff. And I was struck by something in particular. Um, where am I going to, how am I going to start this? Ah, <laughs> uh, the perfectionist. Ain't no wrong way to do it. Let's just dive right in. What we're going to talk about today is the efficiency paradox. The efficiency paradox I've touched on before is the final doorway to becoming a master of abundance. The efficiency paradox is this. When you realize that this reality is an illusion, what do you do with that information? Here's a different way to say it. When you realize that there's always enough and scarcity is an illusion, what do you do with that information? Meaning... If you realize that there's always enough, that source always provides, no matter what. Now, there's different levels of enough because you have to define what that means and so on and so forth. But your basic needs will always be met, no matter what. Period. They always have been, they always will be. Every living creature on this planet is provided for, no matter what. Scarcity is the illusion. And it has to do with a lot of factors. Comparison being one of them, but self-judgment. Judgment is right and wrong. We impose scarcity on ourselves um, to experience it, to experience the contrast because we come from abundance. It's what we are. Now, we come from, we're made of unconditional love, but it's in, all, in abundance in everything. And so the efficiency paradox is once you realize that there's always enough, do you go about spending in an abundant way? Meaning, do you just spend knowing that there's always going to be enough? Or do you become efficient with your resources? Because what's fascinating about efficiency, one of the things we discovered while playing this game, is when you impose scarcity onto abundance, it finds a way. (laughs) abundance always finds a way so when you impose scarcity onto abundance and you limit yourself and your resources 
and your abilities and the ability to use anything other than money. What happens is you become efficient with your resources, which then in turn create more abundance. I've talked about this before. It creates more abundance when you're efficient. So, you know, just like rationing food or whatever, you're going to have to be more efficient with those resources. You're going to create more abundance with it. So even though you, in, you get scared of running out, you use efficiency to create more abundance. <clears throat> even though the scarcity was fake and there always was enough. So then which do you choose? Is it efficiency or is it there's always enough? Or is it a combination of the two things? This is the paradox every master knows how to answer in their own way. I'm not going to answer it for you, but I will leave some breadcrumbs for you as to how to maintain your resources with a story. This past weekend, I sat down with a lovely young couple. Actually, they're slightly older than me, but that's okay. That's not, that's not a big deal. Young in the grand scheme of the young souls in the grand scheme of things. And um, super sweet, super lovely. And we did the inner work mostly on uh, her, her uh, the, the matriarch, her belief system. She had a very interesting, she, she came across this efficiency paradox in her life. And here's how it presented itself. Her father was is, was and is, was when she was growing up, still is to this day, extremely frugal. Extremely frugal. To the point where he balances his checkbook every morning. He goes through every one of the transactions. Like, make sure, every, like, to the penny. Doesn't overspend on anything. Finds the, the, the deal of all deals with everything he does, right? Just extremely shrewd and frugal. <laughs> to me, that's a fucking prison. But to him, it works. And here's the thing when it comes to this, what I'm going to tell you this multiple times as we go along. If you're efficient, like he, that, that's extreme. Let, let's get this very clear. He's at the extreme end of efficiency. To the point where it's probably constricting. And then we'll talk about that too. Um, he's on the extreme, right? There's no wrong way to do it. There's no wrong way to do it. Whether you're efficient or not. Because there's always enough. So you have to, ultimately the answer is going to be found in your heart on how to do this. If you're trying to take notes and be like, oh, I wonder if he's going to let us know how to, how to fuck to handle resources. It's up to your heart. And it might change over time. I've been extremely efficient. I've been extremely frugal. I've been extremely abundant. Multiple different ways to do this. And it might be situation by situation where you're like, no, on this I need to wait and save and, and map this out a little better. But on this I'm just going to, well, it's play. So, you know, whatever. Buy whatever you want. All right, Christmas time. Woo. There's no wrong way to do it. That's first and foremost. So don't shame yourself and be looking for, oh, I need to figure this out. No, no, no. There's no wrong way to do it. Ultimately, you always just listen to your heart. That's the whole fucking point. You need to search for answers. Ask your heart. 
and ask it about everything to the point where you know I ask my heart about everything to the point where there's nothing else that like <laughs> there's nothing else that can get in it's only what my heart wants that's where you got to get to so ask your heart ultimately what how you want to handle your resources but let's go back to the story so her dad was extremely frugal and her mom had a, a super successful business so she was extremely abundant she spent like there was she was never going to run out and so the daughter who I was working with she grew up in this house of extreme extreme contrast between light and not that there's dark light and dark is probably not a good between um, abundance and, and frugality right so she gravitated more toward her mom's way of looking at things because typically when we adopt first of all you understand we absorb and adopt our parents belief systems and behaviors through, condi- through the conditioning process, but also because monkey see, monkey do, right? To us, to every child, our parents are gods, and so we want to be like them. Or we want to rebel against them, depending on how we perceive it. But point is, we absorb both sides. But typically we absorb the one with um, the same gender a lot of the time. Like more than, let's say two-thirds to be fair. Two-thirds of the time you're going to adopt and absorb the belief systems and behavior of the parent of the same gender. If you knew them, right? If you grew up with them. So she tended to be more like her mom. So her mom would take her on shopping sprees just to, you know, that was her wind down i guess she's you know kind of workaholic with a super successful business or whatever and so she would wind down she'd take her kids shopping and um you know her mom was like oh we just we have plenty and there's, there'll be more tomorrow so there's no need to be frugal like get whatever you want right which felt really good how how would that not feel really good But the fascinating part, well, it's all fascinating, really, but what's so fascinating is that she absorbed both. She absorbed both. She, and she also got the chance to watch her brother be exactly like her dad and is also super frugal. Like, he's super proud. He paid off his 30-year mortgage in 15 years and blah, blah, and it's like, who gives a shit? Do you have a place to live or not? That's all that fucking matters. <laughs> It's so funny when people think of success and money. Oh, I'm debt-free. Like, who fucking cares? Are you living your heart's calling or not? Are you doing what you're put on this earth to do? I don't give a fuck if your house is paid off. You're always going to have a housing expense. Even if your house is paid off, you have maintenance and taxes and probably insurance. Right? Oh, I don't have a mortgage payment, so I'm... Somehow better than anybody else? Who cares? Who gives a fuck? You're going to have a housing expense no matter what. Are you, putting, are you doing what you're put on this earth to do? Does that... Not having a mortgage expense free up money for you to invest in yourself to get you to where you need to go? Then no? Then it doesn't fucking matter. 
Anyway. Oh, I'm a millionaire. This happened to me the other day. Someone, let's put a pin in the, the, the main story. We'll come back to it. Someone came to me, one of my apprentices. She told me a story. She was spending time with her, her uncle or grandpa's, great uncle, grandpa's dad or grandpa's brother or whatever. And I'm like, how the hell do you still have people that are alive that old? But in your life, I'm just kidding. So he's a millionaire. He literally has been frugal his whole life, saved up, saved, 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 and now he's a millionaire. But guess what? That's a lifetime's worth of savings. He saved up to be a millionaire. Now he's a million dollars in the bank, and he won't fucking touch it. He is in his late 80s and is doing projects around the house, painting, carpentry. It's not, that he, it's not that he enjoys it. He doesn't want to fucking spend on it. He doesn't want to touch the million. What the hell is it there for? It's there so he can feel accomplished. Like all, he could validate all of his frugality throughout his entire life. It's not actually there to help him. It's there to make him feel secure. Oh, I have this million dollars. Oh, I'm safe. Oh. Internal security cannot come from external things. Now, I'm not talking shit about him or whatever. I'm just saying, how ridiculous is that? What's the point of the money? You're not going to spend it. You're still going to do... <laughs> you're, at the, you're at the time in life where you're supposed to be enjoying life and you're doing shit projects around the house because you don't want to pay for them? Does anybody else think this is insane? Anyway, all right, go back to the main story. So you've got the extremely frugal on one hand and the extremely abundant or lavish spender on the other hand. Now, how these parents coexisted is beyond me, but I'm guessing they just were interdependent of each other's finances if I had to guess. But, um, so which one do you adopt as the child? Because you're absorbing both. And this is what's so fascinating is by absorbing both, See, with these two extremes, the one parent, the father that was frugal and the mother that was, you know, lavish or abundant, they were, just like I said in the beginning, there's no wrong way to do it. So they were okay with themselves and with each other, right? They had their way of doing things that, they, that, that rang true to them. Maybe not to their hearts, but it, it rang true to them. It was their truth, like... They didn't try to get the other one to change, right? It's not like the abundant one was like, you need to be more frugal. And the frugal one was like, you need to save more, right? No, they were just like, this is who we are. And there's no wrong way to do it. So that was completely fine. But then you have the daughter that's trying to now do, the, do best by both parents because she loves both parents. So she's trying to agree with both parents, even though they don't agree with each other. Then what? Then what happens? Well, what do you think? Now the daughter has a war inside of her. The son, her brother, just absorbed what his dad did and said, okay, that's the way I want to be. That's what resonates most with me. Boom, done. But she had the war. She had the efficiency paradox warring inside of her. And when the ego takes on a paradox like this, first of all, remember a paradox is only a doorway. 
It requires you to, it's like a, a doorway with a lock. It requires you to raise your consciousness in order to be able to unlock the door and walk through it. To a master, I know exactly how to solve this efficiency paradox and walk through this. But to the average person, they have no idea because it's a paradox. So, what happens is that she's trying to absorb both and do right by both parents, even though these are two conflicting belief systems. To save or to spend. I have to be efficient or there's always enough. First of all, before we go any further, I recommend, this is not the solution to the paradox, but this is what I would recommend. And this is what I do recommend to everybody who asks me this question about, should I be efficient or should I just act as if there's... Be efficient as possible with your resources. Without it being constricting or contracting to you. Okay, here's what I mean. If you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to take Larry's advice, I'm going to be extremely efficient with my resources, which means I can't do that vacation. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. Efficient to the point where it doesn't contract and constrict. That is for your heart to decide. That vacation might lead you to meet someone that leads you to meet someone that leads you to meet someone that meets your soulmate. Or that leads you to meet someone to think of the laying on a beach on the vacation makes you think of an idea that's now headed you towards your heart's calling that's going to make you millions and millions of dollars. The vacation is important. Play is important. Ask your heart. Don't just say, I have to be efficient so I can't give myself. That's contraction. That's constriction. Be efficient with your resources to the point where right before it constricts or contracts. Right before it makes you feel trapped by money. Be efficient as possible without trapping yourself. We're constantly trying to expand and evolve. So if you come across something that your heart sings about and you don't have the money, it's time to expand. What ideas can I do to bring in more money? What what can I do? And of course, you ask your heart this. It always leads back to your heart. That's the whole point. The communication between you and your heart is what we're trying to cultivate here. It has all your answers. It knows the direction to go. We're just playing with perceptions and concepts on this. Right? Man, it's so nice when there's no... I love wind. It's so nice when there's no wind and I can just talk. Grateful for that. Okay, so this, this lovely woman has absorbed a war now. Now the ego has taken full control, right? Because the ego is based on our conditional love programming, which comes from her parents. So the ego has taken control and makes her feel never good enough. Well, am I supposed to spend or am I supposed to save? And here's how it showed up. One of the first things she said to me was, Larry, when it comes to money, I feel like I can never get ahead. I was like, oh, okay, so there's never enough money. That's the core belief. She's like, yeah, there's never enough money. Okay, and how do you actually experience that? Well, every t- I was like, let me guess. Every time you get close to having a lot, you destroy it and get rid of it. She's like, yeah, I have a shopping 
a binge shopping addiction. I've been, I've been better at it lately. But I, I go and I binge shop. Yep. So that, the, so that the belief that you never have enough can be right. Anytime you get close to enough, the belief has to kick in. You have to destroy the money. Because there's never enough money. Because she was trying to take the frugal part of her dad and apply it to life, even though it felt terrible. Even though she wanted to be like her mom and spend like her mom and know that there's always enough. And she said to herself, well, I don't have a successful business like my mom. You know, I didn't go into a field that gets a lot of income. And I was like, sweetheart, it wouldn't have mattered if you did. If you believe there's never enough money, you would have found a, get, a way to get rid of it. I've seen millionaires that <laughs> think there's never enough and just finds ways to destroy it. What do you think lottery winners do? If you believe there's never enough, you'll find a way to make it true. So now the ego had full control because now every time she looked at her finances, she was frustrated. Frustrated because of the confusion. Remember, confusion is the fusing together of two contradictory ideas, 180 degrees apart. And these are <laughs> completely contradictory. Extremely frugal or lavish. And that's confusing. Because her parents taught her both. She absorbed both. So now there's a war inside. Every time she looks at money, do I save it or do I spend it? And both worked out for her parents. Her dad's probably, you know, I didn't ask or anything. Her dad's probably got a shitload of money set aside. Everything's paid for. And her mom's fine too. Even though she spends lavishly. Still plenty of money. There's no wrong way to do it, but she doesn't know that. She's trying to... She's trying to appease and get approval from both parents, even though they're completely contradictory in their money habits. Do you see this? It's like bringing on a straitjacket of beliefs. It's like when you're comp you feel crazy. When you're confused, you feel crazy because your compass needle just spins 180 degrees out of phase with each other. Like, which one do I do? No one taught her that there's no wrong way to do it. It's all about what her heart wants and it's situation by situational awareness. Check this out. You want to take it another layer deeper? The husband who I didn't work on, who I know well, um, super sweet, nice guy, carefree kind of dude. He, he, I don't know if he grew up with this belief system or not, but his belief system when it comes to money is everything always works out. No matter what, it always just works out. So that's the reality he experiences. His wife that I was working with, super jealous. She's like, he's like, yeah, he's just the golden boy. Everything just fucking works out. It's annoying. Like, okay. Everything works out because he believes that's how the universe works. And so that's how it works for him. That's the reality he experiences because that's what he believes. The same as you believing there's never enough and that's what you experience. 
You believe there's never enough money, right? Yep. And how, and that's what you experience every time you handle money pretty much, right? Yep. He believes that everything's always working out and that's what he experienced. Yep. Yes. That's how reality fucking works. It's a mirror to what you believe. You believe what you believe you perceive. <coughs> Excuse me. What you believe you perceive, and then you go about living in that reality that you perceive, and therefore making it happen. Right? The optimist and the pessimist do not see the same world in different ways. They see and experience two different worlds. And if you're thinking to yourself, how do I get to the place where everything just always works out? All through perception, beliefs, unraveling, undo everything we've been talking about. You find this subconscious programming and undo it. And you can shift realities simply by changing how you believe things. But to do that, and this is the course I'm working on, probably take me at least 60 days, I would assume from now is to get to the, the anchor, the trauma underneath. And that's exactly what I did with her. We started down the path. You know, we found all this stuff. And then we worked on it. The belief was, you know, it's never going to be enough and it's always going to be this way. And that's where the, her heart said, this is what we need to look at. This belief she was implanted in her super young that it's just never enough and it's always going to be this way. Come to find out, when she was young, her mom took her on one of these shopping sprees. And she's a kid. She doesn't know any better. You know, she's probably seven or eight or nine or something. She doesn't know any better. She's just like, her mom's like, yeah, go shop, whatever you want. And she finds something she really likes and it's the most expensive item in the store. And so her mom tells her, you're going to have to marry rich. You're too expensive. You have too expensive taste. So that's what seeped into the child's mind. I'm too expensive. And of course, God, how we treat women is so ridiculous. Like your only value is to marry someone with money. Like she didn't say you need to figure out how to make a lot of money for yourself. To marry someone with money? What the fuck? This is what we pass down? Anyway. Like, do you have daughters? Anyway. That's a whole other story for another time. The matriarchy will take power in my lifetime. I will watch it happen. I will help it happen. The sleeping giant waiting to be awoken. Anyway, so this is what the trauma was that was anchoring this into her perception. Like a child being told that they're too expensive. A child being told that Basically, it's not even that you can't afford it, because you could. It's that she found, like, she was too much, right? What's the, remember what the shadow side of is of, uh, not good enough? Too much. Either not good enough or too much. This porridge is just right. That never fucking happens. Because the ego won't let you make it happen. The ego won't let it happen. You can never be just right. 
because then you wouldn't need the ego. So it's going to tell you you're not good enough or you're too much so that it can keep you in the straitjacket of beliefs, just like it can keep you confused. It can keep you feeling crazy, just like to save or to spend, to be frugal or abundant. Morning. Morning. question is now that you see what someone who grows up with contrast is it better to have both parents who agree that you need to be frugal or abundant or money doesn't grow on trees or money's the root of all evil or whatever is it better to have them both agree I don't know either way if you're stuck with a singular perception you're fucked because that's brainwashing. That's the ego. Only the ego benefits from a singular perception. But she got two perceptions, and both worked out for her parents. But because she has two perceptions and hasn't chosen which one to go with, she's fucked. I'm kidding. We're working on it. It's not a big deal. Like, we'll get there. But without the self-discovery aspect of the inner work and changing and shifting perception... She would have lived, she would have lived, if she hadn't found me, I mean, who knows how the universe would have worked in her life. That's not true. I was going to say, how would you beat this without something, without the inner work? Right? But anyway, who knows how things would have gone. I hate hypotheticals anyway. So, do you see, though, how a child could absorb two contradictory ideas and become extremely confused. Which one's right? In my opinion, when you see two extremes, it's not to choose one of the extremes, it's to find the middle way. Just like a spectrum. Like some people like... (laughs) I used to live with people in Vegas who loved the heat of the summer because they grew up in such extreme cold... And so they just drank up the, the, the heat and absolutely loved it. I fucking hated it. Then I'd meet people in Alaska who loved the winter. You know? They just loved the, the quiet, the solitude, the snow. It's like Christmas year-round or whatever, nine months of the year. I fucking hated it. It's nice to visit. I like visiting cold when I go snowboarding and stuff. I don't want to live in that shit. I'm a middle way guy. I'm San Diego. Let's just stay at 75 degrees the whole time. You see? When you find extremes, there are people that like the extremes. When I find extremes, typically I try to choose the middle. The middle way. Like, are you a prude? Or are you never, never engage in anything fun or sexually charged experiences? Or are you a partier? And you're easy to fall in love with people and have sex and have a good time and go to an orgy or whatever. And then nothing wrong with either way. I like the middle way. 
Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Depends on how I feel. There's no wrong way to do it. But here's another thing. Most kids rebel at some point in their lives. They rebel against their parents' way of doing things. How do you rebel against two extremes like this? Which you, you're, you can't rebel against two extremes. Because <laughs> if you go one way or the other, you're choosing to copy one of the parents. I mean, if there was a rebellion, it would be the middle to try to, to try to blend these both together. Of course, that would be evolution, not rebellion. Rebellion is just doing the opposite of what your parents do. Okay. Now that I've thoroughly laid out the problem, what would you tell this young lady? Besides what I already did. Here's what I would say. Here's what I did say. If you want everything to work out, like your husband has everything work out, you're going to have to start believing that everything's going to work out. If you feel frustrated, it's because in your imagination, there's a should, a perfect way of doing things that doesn't line up with physical reality. That's where frustration always comes from. Your imagination and physical reality, your imagined reality and physical reality didn't line up together. Ah, I'm frustrated because I want to be abundant and I want there to always be enough. But then when I go to pay bills, there's... Barely enough, if sometimes there's not enough. But you're making that happen with your self-destructive behavior because you believe there's never enough. So that belief has to be right. So then, bin shopping is what happens. And some people, they find a way to destroy the money. So what I said was, be efficient as possible with your resources so that it doesn't constrict you. While undoing your programming that says you're too much, too expensive, or that there's never enough. It's always going to be this way. This is the same as talking to someone about getting in shape with their bodies and say, well, should I go on a diet? How should I handle food? Should I exercise? I would say, eat what your body is asking you to eat. Your body is asking, not your mouth or your tongue. Eating what your body is asking you to eat. While, and you know, get some exercise in here, move your body. While simultaneously working on this inner stuff that says you're not good enough. That says you don't deserve love. That says you're, you know, fat, stupid, ugly, whatever. Because if you don't do the inner work, you're going to sabotage the outer work that you're doing. You're going to find a way to destroy it. Most people work out, you know, they go the first of the year, they go to work out, they hit a diet because they hate themselves. Not because they love themselves. That's what needs to be changed. 
body stuff, body awareness, also leads you back to the heart, having constant communication with the heart. That's also a doorway to enlightenment or to whatever you want to call it. To knowing who you really are. That's all enlightenment really means. Knowing who you really are on the other side, on the spiritual world. Knowing your place in the pantheon of gods. Even being able to tap into your memories before you came here. 100% with zero doubt. Knowing who you really are on the other side. And unconditional happiness. I know who I really am, 100%. I know why I'm here. I know what my mission is. The unconditional happiness part I'm still working on. It's a work in progress. And it, it might always be a work in progress, I don't know. Now. Now you see the efficiency paradox. Be efficient with your resources, the point where it doesn't constrict you, while and while simultaneously removing the, the programming, the brainwashing that says you're never enough, that there's never enough, that scarcity is real, and I can't do what I, you know, I can't make money doing what I love, and all this other horse shit. That way, you don't subconsciously sabotage yourself. So while you're getting good at being efficient with your resources, you're also getting to a place where you can tap into unlimited wealth. You're basically trying to meet in the middle. You're undoing the programming while trying to become a good steward. It's the same as working out while trying to heal your perception that anything is wrong with you. Okay, now, what the fuck did your parents teach you about money? It's the first thing I ask everybody when I sit down with them for the first time. What did your parents teach you about money? Where is this same confusion in your world, in your life right now? Because you know it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's the same. Maybe it's the saving and spending thing. Maybe this hits home for you. Maybe it's that whole thing of like, why am I making money if I can't spend it? Maybe it was like my mom who gave this to me, said one step forward and two steps back. That's how I experienced reality for a very long time until my mid-20s. And so I started to really go to work on my belief systems. It's like, wait, why, why, why does this keep happening? Every time I get up, it, I get destroyed, it, it goes away. And it feels like God is punishing you. That's the story we make up. That's what's so fucked up. 
It's because we judge the outer physical world and the results we get from doing, you know, whatever it is we're doing, whether it be a job or having a relationship or a body. We judge the results and we're like, man, you just can't get ahead. God must not love me or I must not have something figured out to appease God. That's when the story goes really south. That's when things get really brutal in life. Like when you make up that story, that's when misery comes in. I can never get ahead. Which means there's never enough. And no one told you that if you just remove the belief in any supporting traumas and emotions that are trapped within you, that keeps that belief anchored in your subconscious, then you would experience possibly everything always working out for you. Because fascinatingly enough, fascinatingly? I don't know if that's a word. If it is, awesome. If it's not, let's make it one. Sounds right. Fascinatingly. That that doesn't sound right. Fascinating. Fascinating enough. (laughs) Things are always working out for you. But because you believe they're not, that's what you experience. How could they not always be working out for you? Because what? Reality didn't bring you what you preferred? How do you know that that's not working out for you? Have you ever had something extremely painful happen? To five years later look back and say, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I've had that multiple times. The 2008 crash, at the time I thought was horrible. I had to close my business, my electrical business. Turned out to be the best thing. I moved cities, changed jobs, changed careers, went into real estate, went into finance. Happened to be one of the best things that ever happened to me. But at the time, it was horrible. How do you know that's not happening now? How do you know everything's not working out for you? Like seriously, how would you know? How could you possibly judge without knowing the entire movie that is your life or the entire book, the entire story that is your life? If you don't know how it ends, how do you know that's not the best thing for you? How do you know that's not, that that thing that you don't want to have happen isn't the best thing for you? How do you know that you're just not causing yourself a ton of misery with all the self-doubt and judgment of that thing? Because if everything's happening for us, if this truly is an unconditionally supportive universe, which I, of course, 100% believe, this is 100% everything is happening for us. So how do you know that sitting down with that lady and watching her confusion over money isn't exactly what she needed to have happen? To have someone like me come in and say, this is what you need, and her set on a journey of new self-discovery. How do you know that's not exactly what was supposed to happen? You don't. What part of you judges and labels things as bad? Uh. Because your heart's not doing that. Absolutely not. How do you know you're brainwashed? 
how would you know you were brainwashed? How would you know? If you've never heard me ask that question, <laughs> welcome to the world of spirituality, psychology, philosophy, self-development. How the fuck would you know you were brainwashed? There are nine ways to know you're brainwashed. I started writing a speech in my head about this. One of the ways you know you're brainwashed, one of the main ways, meaning that when you see this, four main way, major ways, minor ways is how I say it, or main ways, minor ways. The four major ways, main ways that you know you're brainwashed, when you see this behavior every single time, it's brainwashing. The minor ways, it's not every time. You can see the behavior and be like, it's not necessarily brainwashing until I see the pattern repeat multiple times. Then most likely, yes. One of the main ways to know you're brainwashed is if you cannot reasonably explain why you believe something. And you can show zero evidence as to support your belief. Think about it like this. Someone comes to you and says, water is dry. You're like, okay. Uh, sh all right. Tell me how you came to that belief. Uh, run me through your train of thought. Well, I don't know. Water's dry. What? No, I heard you the first time. And when you see him get more and more agitated, you're like, whoa, whoa, man. Calm down, Lenny. Like, take a, take a beat, bro. We're just talking. Remember the second, one of the other ways to know you're brainwashing is if you ever, ever feel under threat, you're identified with a part of you that can be threatened. Not the consciousness that can never be threatened because it's eternal. So then they feel under threat because their singular perception is challenged. It's the other way. One of the other ways you know you're brainwashed. Four main ways. Violence. You ever see violence that's brainwashing? Because the only way violence would ever take place is if you believed you're under threat, which means you're brainwashing to believe you are the ego, not the heart or the consciousness underneath it all. That's brainwashing. You're identified with the ego. Two. You're doing something you don't want to fucking do. What other thing could that be besides brainwashing? You're, you don't want to do it and you're doing it? That's brainwashing. Someone has convinced you through brainwashing that you have to do something you don't want to do. What a different world this would be if we all did what we wanted to do. Three, if you have a singular perception about anything, you're brainwashed. Because... Singular perception means you don't have a choice. That's brainwashing. A glass filled in the middle is half empty or half full. If you only see the half empty, you're brainwashed. Because you're not choosing to see it as half empty. You're being told to see it as half empty by your ego or by the person who put that belief inside of you. And last, the, four, the fourth main way...
is if you cannot reasonably explain how you came to certain law, how you came to your belief and can show no evidence. Water is dry. Okay, how'd you get there? Well, uh, I don't know, that's just what my dad told me. Okay. Okay, show me evidence of how water is dry. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's fucking false belief. That's brainwashing. Same with someone saying it's a flat earth. Okay. How'd you come, how'd you come to that conclusion? You do notice that nature doesn't build anything with straight lines. There's only one straight line in all of nature, and that's a horizon on the beach. When you look out over a large body of water, there's a straight line on the horizon. Yes, it is a trick of perception, but it's the only straight line that can be found in nature. So is that the reason you see that one straight line and think the world is flat? Have you never been on a plane before? You go on a plane, definitely flying internationally. You look out the window, you, see, you don't see the flat line like you do on a beach, you see a curve. So walk me through, how'd you get to the flat earth? Walk me through the reasoning, how'd you get there? Uh, well, there's these pictures online. Okay, shut the fuck up. It doesn't mean that when you can support your belief through reasoning, or you can show evidence that it's true, that it's not brainwashing, it just means that we're taking the low-hanging fruit of, okay, if you can't tell me how you got here, then it's, it's implanted in you. It's propaganda. I was talking to some kids, this was about a year ago, teenagers, you know, right before they hit that stage of rebellion, talking about how, how terrible alcohol is. I'm like, oh, okay, so you've experimented with it? No, never drank it. <laughs> okay, how do you know it's terrible? Well, these people came and to our school and did a whole talk on it. <laughs> so you've never experienced it? No. Uh, okay. <sighs> That's brainwashing. I'm not supporting underage drinking. My point is the brainwashing. Oh, I, can, I hear this shit all the time. I could never be vegan or vegetarian. Really, you've tried it and it failed? Well, no, I just, I just know I can't. Okay, so that's brainwashing. You've never tried? How do you know? How the fuck do you know? Tell me how you came to that logic. What evidence do you have to support your belief system? Oh, none? That's brainwashing. Your ego is the one who brainwashes you to stay in control, to keep you limited in a story. So how would you know? How would you know that you couldn't do something you wanted to do? How would you know if you never tried? Oh, because, you know, when I was a kid, I tried to try it out for the baseball team. It didn't work out, so now I'm, not, I'm never going to try anything new. Shut up. Are you serious? This is what brainwashing looks like. A whole mass full of people doing shit they don't want to do, being violent with one another, when their singular perception is challenged. who can support no 
reasoning with evidence. Oh, Trump's a good president. Okay, what makes you think so? And <laughs> there are a few things I agreed with the man. Because I, I don't think anyone is 100% wrong. It's not possible. There are a few things I agreed with that he did. Most of it was garbage because he's a fucking full-blown narcissist. But a broken watch is going right twice a day. Right? So there was a few things I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I would do that too if I was in this position. Tell fucking NATO to pay up. Yeah. Why, why have we been footing the bill for this thing for 70 years? That's a great idea. But anyway, Jordan Kepler, who works for The Daily Show, has made an entire career out of this. Goes to Trump supporting rallies, and says, okay, well, he's a good president. Uh, well, because he's a businessman. <laughs> That's not a reason. <laughs> you have zero evidence to support your theory, and you can't walk me through the reasoning? That's brainwashing. Why is the word fuck bad? Why is there such a thing as a bad word? I did research on this yesterday. because I wanted to support my theory with my thinking and what was coming through me. And it, no one can answer the fucking question. You know what they do? They go to the etymology of the word. Well, here's where the root came from. I don't give a fuck about that. Why is it bad? Why is it a bad word? Tell me why. Because it offends people? No, 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 no. It offends people because you taught them it was bad. It's not about what the word is pointing to either. Because I can say sex, coitus, romping, you know. Penis and vagina or however you do it. Knocking boots. I don't know why all the words are... Wait, coitus? Did I say that one? I think I already said that one. Intercourse? It's not what the word is conjuring in the imagination. Because there's actually nothing wrong with sex either, as long as it's consensual. There's nothing wrong with sex. Period. It literally is a basic need of the human species. Can't be wrong. It's like saying breathing is wrong. Are we ashamed to breathe? Obviously not. It's a basic need of humanity to have sex. And it feels really, really good when done well. And of course, consensual. So it's not sex that's bad. So why is the word that is pointing to sex bad? No one, and this includes online, I dare you to go look. Do your own research. No one can tell me why it's bad. Here's why. It started in the 1500s by the commoner. It was adopted by the common man and woman, the lower classes. And the upper classes decided to label it as bad so they could differentiate themselves as gentlemen and gentlewomen. Gentlemen and gentlewomen don't say those type of words. We say other types of words. So 
This is fucking elitism. The reason the word shit, fuck, cunt is bad, elitism. And of course, since all these parents who are trying to get up the social class ladder and trying to be one of these wealthy gentlemen and gentlewomen, they taught their kids not to say that word so they could try to get up the social class ladder. If you've ever been to a developing country, I spent, I lived in India for seven months. I don't give a fuck what you want to say. That shit's a developing country. I was in the biggest slum in the world, in Mumbai, right next to the international airport. Interestingly enough, you're very safe in the biggest slum. They don't, they don't steal. They might try to con you. They don't and beg, but they don't steal. <clears throat> um, so if you know how to, all manipulation works, you can easily, you feel completely safe. But if you're a man, I should say. <laughs> I don't know. Women in India are treated like shit. But anyway, point is, to most, the, uh, the class system is very much alive in India. And to almost every parent, their entire goal is to simply get them one rung, their kids a one rung up the social class ladder. That's how it used to be here. It kind of still is, depending on how you look at it. That's why people, that's why parents force their kids to go to college. They're trying to get them up the social class ladder. It used to be 70s, 80s, 90s. Every parent wanted their child to become a doctor or a lawyer. Now those professions are garbage. They just don't make enough for how much um, shit they have to go through. It's more about saying they're a doctor than actually healing shit. Not everybody. Not everybody. I don't want to paint with broad strokes here. But anyway, point is, you're trying to get up the social class ladder, one rung. And so they taught their kids that this word was bad because that's how you exposed yourself. If you walked into uh, a country club back in the day, even today actually, and started cussing, eh, maybe not today because it's, it's much more relaxed. But if back in the day, 1560, 1700s, right, 1900s, um, you walk into a country club of highbrow, you know, gentlemen and ladies and started cussing, they knew you weren't a part, they knew you weren't, didn't belong there. Just like if you walked in with holes in your shoes. This, the reason we're, why would a word be bad? Think about it. I'm an, I'm a wordsmith. I'm an author. I'm a speaker. Words are my medium to how I paint with perception. To say a word is bad is like saying to an artist, like Ansel, oh, that's probably not a good, Tom, is he still alive? I think Thomas Kincaid died. Um, why are those the ones that come to mind? Ansel, Adam, Thomas Kincaid, because we'll probably see him in offices everywhere. Picasso, also not alive. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Let's say you said Picasso, he couldn't use a type of color. That a color was bad because it evoked what? Offense? Offense is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Try imagine telling an artist that they can't use a certain color because it offends people. What? What are you talking about? Why would any part of the rainbow be excluded as bad?
All right, I need to calm down, wind this down. What the hell does this have to do with money, Larry? You go from talking about efficiency and saving and spending to brainwashing and bad words. It's real simple. The same brainwashing that makes a word bad makes money bad. Money's the root of all evil. That's the same bullshit as saying fuck is a bad word. And it, it creates a divide. The brainwashing creates a divide from everything you want. It forces a wedge in between you and what you want. Think about it. If you label money as evil, or there's such a good thing as good money or bad money, or old money or new money, who the fuck cares? Like you label it evil or bad and you push it away from you. Just like somebody might hear me cuss and push me away from them. Think about that for a second. Think about that for a second. You can hear amazing wisdom and get hung up on the way in which the what words are used. I always say it like this, I'm a buffet. Take what you like and leave the rest. But don't not listen to it because you're offended. Because a word is bad. My mom taught me that a word, that word is bad and I'm bad and people who are using it are bad. Or this one I heard the other day, I was watching Reacher, which is a decent show, super violent of course, but well acted. I loved all the, the actors and the story was good. I mean, it was murderous, but you know. <clears throat> and they was like, cussing is a sign of a weak mind. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's brainwashing that made cussing bad. Highbrow elitism. To me, the worst way to use words is destructive criticism. The N-word is a, a beautiful use of how, why that in particular word is... A, it's derogatory. It makes people feel ashamed for who they are. The same as saying you're stupid or fat or lazy or ugly. That, if you want to eliminate words, morning, or you want to become, get people aware to what they're saying to one another, that's where you begin. Destructive criticism, making people feel ashamed for who they are. That is bullshit. Constructive criticism is intended to help you grow and evolve. Destructive criticism is intended to make you feel ashamed, typically because they're trying to manipulate. Not all the time, though. Could just be felt, you know, you could feel inferior and I want to tear someone down through destructive criticism. But even still, you can't, even if we found destructive criticism and we're all like, yeah, this sucks, we still can't say it's bad because freedom of speech is extremely important to censor anything. Words are just words until it's with the actions we don't want. Violence is what we don't want. But being offended? Grow up. It means you don't have... If you're offended, 
It means you don't know how to process your own emotions. That's what it means. It means you have a low mental, uh, emotional intelligence. You can't offend me. Now, when I hear hate speech, I just tune it out. I just turn it off. I don't want to listen to that. It doesn't mean I... But I would fight to the death for that person to be able to say those things. As long as the hate speech doesn't hurt, turn into hate actions, it's fine to me. It means everybody can just be like, oh, I don't want to be around that dude. Just like, I don't want to be around any racist. People that talk racism, I just like, oh, okay, good luck with that. Bye. I don't want to be around those fucking people. It's gr- That's the beauty of freedom of speech. You get to say whatever you want, and I get to choose to listen or not. You want to heal your relationship with money? Don't label anything as good or bad. Don't fall for the brainwashing. Because that's how... Morning. Morning. Inevitably, my friend's wife got into this trouble she's in. Right? Her dad's super frugal. Mom's super lavish. Which one's bad? Which one's right? Which one's wrong? Which one do I follow? Super confused. When you let go of the judgment, neither is right, neither is wrong, and it's all about what your heart wants to do, which might be a combination of both, or different per different situation. That's what's so sneaky about brainwashing. The judge it creates is the problem. But you don't even see it because you're focused on what you're judging as bad or as good. Going toward the things you think are good, judge is good. Oh yeah, working 60 hours a week to prove myself, that's good. (laughs) Okay. Good luck with that. Oh, being lazy, that's bad. Rest is bad, sleep is bad. Sleep is my enemy. (laughs) Yeah, okay. It's only a basic need of a human, third most important basic need there is, before water, sorry, before food, air, water, sleep, food. Before food, sleep is more important. Without a week of solid, like if you didn't sleep for a week, you would go insane, possibly, probably die. And yet sleep is our enemy? What the fuck? What kind of brainwashing is that? Watch what you judge and label bad, and everything else will change, as if by magic. I hope something I've said has helped you here today. Thank you for listening to me rant. What's super interesting is even though I know all this, I still hear myself judge myself when I say the word fuck. And that's something I have to unconditionally love and accept and be like, that's just old, old brainwashing. I always thought it was funny. Adults say don't cuss to children, and then when the kids are asleep, they cuss all up a storm. It's like, what the hell are we doing? Why are we doing? Why are we making people feel ashamed for using words? 
And then there's still just the faintest. It's so faint, it's almost gone. And I look forward to the day when it's gone, but I appreciate that it's still here. The faintest judgment when I say fuck or shit. (gasps) What are they going to think of me? I don't care. Because I will not submit to the brainwashing. (laughs) I'd rather you're going to think of me however you're going to think of me anyway. I can't control that, nor do I want to. I would like to control is not getting my legs eaten alive here. One of the things about no, no wind is there's bugs everywhere. Anyway, I hope something I've said has helped you here today. Go ahead and research why the word fuck is bad. No one, no. It's, it's such a weird rabbit hole because no one says why it's bad because no one knows because it's brainwashing. No one can give a reasonable argument or show any evidence as why the word is bad. Think about it for a second. You're, let's say your kids cuss. What's the worst, or, or you cuss, what's the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is you're judged and labeled by your society. Who cares? What's really, what's really going to happen? Oh, they're not going to get into a good school. They're going to have a good life if they cuss. What, what the fuck are we talking about here? That's elitism. That's the boogeyman that keeps you in a cage. There is no consequence. There is no consequence besides judgment and ostracization, which is the ego's offense to control. You're being manipulated even into how you speak. What a bunch of bullshit. Anyway, I'm done ranting. I love you all. Thank you so much for listening. My unconditional love to you. Even if you don't want to cuss, I totally understand. But I just want you to be aware of the things you label bad. And question everything. Even me. Question age-old dogma. Question the way things have always been done. Because if we're doing things the way we, our parents did them, we're not evolving. If we're questioning how they did things. And choosing to do similar things. Because that's what worked. Or at least we assume so. That's different than just blindly going along. Always be on the side of evolution. All right, I'm out. Love you all. Thank you for listening.